following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Well, happy Sunday, church. I hope you're doing well at your house. I hope the weekend has been good. Maybe it's been productive. Listen, I would, I would gather that many of you have got some closets cleaned out over the last couple days. Come on. Some of, the, some of the husbands, if you haven't had to work, how many of you have done some honeydew lists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got both my hands up. Yep. <laughs> well, hey, it, it's an honor to be standing in front of a camera preaching to some of the most amazing people on the planet. And I'm not going to lie. I miss you. I miss hugging your neck, seeing your smile and face. Uh, but you know what? I'm so grateful for technology, and I'm grateful for the fact that, that you would allow us into your most precious space, your home. Thank you for allowing your church um, to come into your kitchen, maybe into your dining room, your living room, and allow us to bring worship and a word to you. And I'm excited. I'm excited about what God's going to do today about his word and what it's going to share with us. And without any further ado, we're going to dive right into the word of God this morning. And I want to start with a story that I read recently that I found very interesting. It was, it was Good Friday, 1865. Robert Todd Lincoln arrived late in Washington, D.C., and was told to meet his parents at the Ford Theater. You know the story. And as he, he entered the theater, he was met by a crowd carrying his mortally wounded father to a house right across the street. Abraham Lincoln would die the next morning with his son, Robert, at his side. As history would have it, 16 years later, folks, this is, this is crazy. Robert Lincoln was the Secretary of War in President Garfield's cabinet. On July 2nd, 1881, the president was preparing to leave by train to tour New England and at the very last second sent word for Robert to join him. And as Lincoln rushed to the train station to tell the president that, that he couldn't make the trip, Upon arrival, he was met by a crowd carrying the president's body. Garfield had just been killed by an assassin's bullet. It gets crazier. 20 years later, on September 6, 1901, the city of Buffalo was holding the Pan American Expedition, and President McKinley was the guest of honor. And the president had invited Robert Lincoln, of course, to join him for the celebration. Lincoln was with McKinley when the assassin fired two fatal shots into McKinley's body. And he'd been assassinated. Robert Todd Lincoln had been at each one. And he became so depressed over his apparent jinx that he refused all of the presidential invitations for the remaining 25 years of his life. Folks, there's just some stories, some things that you go through in life that you just can't make up. There's no way that you can, you can put words enough to it. And as we are just two weeks away from Easter Sunday, where we will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're two weeks away. And so today we're going to begin our march towards the cross. 
our march towards the resurrection. And as we begin moving in that direction, our story today from the word of God is of an individual who would actually be moving in the opposite direction. He would be moving opposite direction physically, sure, but even more importantly, his heart would be moving in the opposite direction of Jesus. The story that I'm about to share with you is a story that you can't make up. And as we start our time together today, I wanna start with the question. Have you ever tried to bargain with God? I know I have. As a teenager, it looked different, obviously, than it does when you're an adult. But as a teenager, maybe it went something like this for you. I'm not saying it did for me, but this is for you. God, if she will only say yes, then I'll do anything you want for the rest of my life. But as an adult, it looks a little bit different, right? The, the, the scenarios change, but all of us, at some point in our life, we try to get God in on our thing. Like we, we try to get God a part of what we're doing because there's something, listen, there's something in us that wants to leverage God's power for our benefit. Wow. And sometimes the reasons are legitimate. Let's be honest, if you have a loved one that is going through a difficult time, especially if it's a child or a husband or a wife, come on, how many, how many of you have ever said, God, if you will just heal them, if you'll just take care of, if you'll fix this situation, if you'll make it better, I'll do anything. I'll give you everything that I have for the rest of my life. And so we bargain with our prayers, don't we? Yeah, we bargain with our church attendance. We bargain with our giving. We bargain with giving more. God, if you'll do this, then, then I'll give you anything that you want. We bargain with our actions and with our obedience. God, don't let me get caught. If I don't get caught, then I'll do blah, blah, blah. We bargain with God. And what are we doing? What are we doing here? It's so simple, but it's so sad at the same time. And we're all guilty of it. We try to figure out what I need to do to get God to do what I think God should do for me. This is where many of us live. And, and so we say, God, since you didn't do what I thought you ought to do, God will then, then forget you. I'm done with this. God, you didn't heal. God, you didn't provide. And because you didn't do what I thought you should do in my time and my will, you didn't behave the way that I thought you should behave. Well, then I'm done. I'm done with all of this. You, you, you're not living up to your end of the bargain. And the story that we're diving into this morning is the story of a man whose life is forever tied to the story of Jesus, a man who tried to get Jesus to do his bidding. And when Jesus wouldn't do what he wanted Jesus to do, he threw the towel and he walked away. He said, enough is enough. I'm done with you, Jesus. I, I'm not gonna do it this way any longer. And the reason that I, I feel like this has been so heavy on my heart is because I know that there's a little bit of this character in each one of us. And so today, through the story of a very unique character, the story of Judas Iscariot, we're gonna learn the significance 
of surrender. You see, for, for Judas, Jesus was always a means to an end. For Judas, Jesus was always, if you'll allow me to say it this way, a means to his end. Judas, Judas had an Old Testament expectation of what a Messiah should be. And that, that Messiah, right, should be a military leader. This is what Judas thought, a political leader, someone that could return Israel to the days of David and the days of Solomon. But for Judas, Jesus had met some of the expectations. He, he checked a few of the boxes. He fulfilled some of the things of the Old Testament expectations. But there, there were several exceptions for Judas. The first exception was this, is that Jesus simply didn't hate the Romans the way that Judas thought he should hate them. The second exception that Judas had was that Jesus, he didn't have the religious leaders of the day on his side. And the third was simply this, Jesus wouldn't save enough money. Every time they would get a little bit of money in their treasury, Jesus was always dispersing the funds, giving the money away to people that would need it. And this drove Judas insane. Judas couldn't take it, but, but finally something happened and it was the final straw for Judas, and he, he simply couldn't take it. He couldn't walk any further after this one incident. And, and interestingly enough, it was a crazy act of generosity that sent Judas right over the edge. And we're going to dive into this story today, but the incident takes place in a village called Bethany. And the Bible through, through Matthew's narrative would tell us this, that while Jesus was in Bethany, you know the story, it's one of my favorites, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she would pour on his head while he was reclining at the table. So there they are, the disciples are being served a meal. This woman walks in with these alabaster bottles. And, and in this day and age, the, the bottles were sealed to prevent evaporation. And the only way to open them, because there were no lids like there is today, the only way to open them was to break the neck of the container. And once you opened that container, you had to use everything that was in there or the rest would go to waste. This is where Judas found himself as this, this woman comes in and breaks this alabaster jar and begins to wash Jesus' feet. And John tells us, get this, that this is, this, is, this is interesting, that the jar that was broken was worth about one year's wage. And I, I want you to think about what that would mean for you. How much money that this jar of perfume cost. It was costly. And no matter what the cost was, you ruin it, right? This is their thinking by breaking it and pouring it over somebody's body. The entire thing, when, when you could split it up into smaller vials, maybe you could sell it and make some more money. Or even if you wanted to give it to the poor, you could do that too. But, but all, you're going to break the whole one year's wages? Really? Matthew chapter 26, verse 8. So when his disciples saw this, they were indignant. Watch. Why this waste? They said that this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. And I love what Jesus says. Jesus, Jesus has an amazing way with words. He says, fellas, why are you bothering this woman? 
She's just done a beautiful thing to me. She's honored me. She's elevated my status. She's she's through this act that she just committed this, this wonderful honoring act. She has shown so much respect for me. And then we get the famous verse that we all know. Verse 11, Jesus says, see the poor, the poor you will always have with you. But then Jesus says something else, that if you're reading the New Testament quickly and, and you're just kind of trying to check a box, you, you, it would be very easy to just skip right by it. But he would say something that was so disturbing to them and it was so emotional to them. Verse 11 continues and he says, but you, you won't always have me. What? Jesus, we won't always have you? What do you mean? When she poured this out, he continues. When she poured the perfume on my body, she did it, watch, to prepare me for burial. Burial? What are you talking? Jesus, you have lost your mind. This is a year's worth of wages. How are we getting there from perfume to burial? Like, you're gonna, Jesus, you're gonna die? You can't die, Jesus. You're, you're the Messiah. What's going on? Messiahs don't die. We've been waiting for you. Don't you realize, Jesus, that you're the person that the prophet spoke of? Don't you realize that we've dedicated our life to you? We're all in for you. We've given up so much for you. <laughs> but watch this. The real issue is this, Jesus, is that if you die, watch. What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen to us? What's gonna happen to us? Don't go talking about dying, Jesus, and and being buried. And, And what's happened is suddenly they've forgotten everything about the perfume, everything that had just taken place. They forget all about it, and it's all about what's gonna happen to them. You're talking about, well, what about us, Jesus? And John actually says that it was Judas who got them all stirred up and the animosity against this woman. And John also tells us that the reason that he was so concerned, not not because he wanted to give the money to the poor. No, no, no. Judas was the treasurer. In fact, John calls Judas a thief because he would steal money. Judas would steal money from the treasury. This is the type of individual that he was. That's that's who we're talking about. And Judas, a thief. Now, for Judas, this was a means to an end. This was the end for Judas. I, I, you're not the Messiah, Jesus, that I've envisioned. This has become a little bit too much about you, Jesus. I, I think you've lost your perspective here. This whole you becoming king isn't moving along fast enough for me. In fact, I'm wondering in this moment if I've wasted some of my greatest years following you around. I'm not even sure I can trust you anymore. This is where... This is where Judas is. And so we pick the story up right after this event in Bethany in Matthew chapter 26. It says, then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and he said this, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him, Jesus, over to you? Wow. 
Now, I I don't know if Judas was just impatient. I don't know if Judas was trying to force Jesus' hand. I don't know exactly what was going on in the mind of Judas. But one thing was for sure, knowing what we know about Judas... Judas was going to profit one way or the other. There was something that Judas was going to get out of this, and Judas was an insider. So he says to the religious leaders, hey, I can, I can get Jesus away from the crowd, the people that are following him, and I can deliver him to you where, where nobody is around. And they said, now that, that would be worth that would be worth something to us. If you, if you can do that, Judas, then, then we might have a plan here. And so the text tells us, Matthew 26 and 15, that they counted out 30 pieces of silver. Think about this, folks, as you sit on your couch or in your kitchen. Think about this. Judas was eyeball to eyeball with Jesus. Judas rode on a boat with Jesus. He spent time with Jesus, had meals with Jesus, saw miracles with Jesus. Judas was there. Judas was right there. But because he got so fed up that he couldn't get Jesus to do what he thought Jesus should be doing, He sold him. He tra- you got to catch this. He traded his relationship with Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And I look over the course of my life, and some of you can think over the course of your life as well, and all the things that are running through your mind that you have been tempted to trade in your relationship with Jesus for. And I have a feeling that they look very similar to 30 pieces of old used silver. Back to our story. The deal has been made. Passover was coming. And Judas is watching out for the best opportunity now to hand Jesus over to the religious leaders of the day. And so as the meal continues and as it would have in a meal conversation picks back up, Jesus says something that would send chills down the very spine of Judas when, G- when Jesus turns and announces to the entire room in Matthew 26, 21, he says, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And no doubt in that moment, G- Judas kind of squeezed and scooted to the edge of his seat. Oh, they know. I, and I'm sure Judas is expecting any moment for Jesus to turn around to everybody and say, hey, hey fellas, guess what? Just want to let you in on a little secret here. Judas has planned not to just betray me, but he's about to betray all of us. He's about to hand all of us over to the religious authority leaders of this day and age. That's what's going through Judas's mind, right? But but what does Jesus do? It's beautiful. He leans over to Judas. He says, what you're about to do, Judas... Do it quickly. Yeah, Judas. Judas, I know. I I know what you're about to do, but but don't miss this as you're watching on your couch. He says, but I'm not going to stop you, Judas. 
In fact, I've got your back. Go. Go quickly. Go do what you are about to do. Judas slips out from the meal. He heads to let the the religious leaders know where they can find Jesus. And once Judas is gone, Jesus says this in John 13, 31. He says, now in this moment, the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. What what does he mean by this? This is what he's saying, folks. He's saying, listen, everything is working out exactly as it's planned. Everything is going exactly as I need it to go. And it's a reminder, Judas, listen, it doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter what you try to do. You will not force the hand of God. You're not gonna hinder God will, Judas. Everything is working out just like it needs to work out. And there is no telling what is going through the mind of Judas, right? As he turns them over to the religious authorities, I'm sure he had some questions in his mind. Maybe they're just going to throw him in jail. Maybe they'll just ask Jesus a few questions about what's going on and why he's doing what he's doing. At least I got my 30 pieces of silver, Oh, Jesus, he's done miracles. He can figure that out for himself. I don't know exactly what Judas was thinking, but I'm sure it had to be something like that. And this is, this is when in the story things begin to spiral out of control quickly because Judas gets word that Caiaphas has handed Jesus over to Pilate. Now watch, the only reason that he would do this is because there has been a death sentence issued. Jewish law wouldn't allow for execution. So the only time that they had to get the Romans involved was when they were trying to put somebody to death. And so in this moment, Judas realizes Jesus isn't even resisting this. Like he's not even fighting this. And it dawns on him in this moment what it is that he's actually done. The brevity of his mistake and the weight of it falls on his shoulder in the moment. And watch what he says. Then Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned. What happened to Judas? He was seized with remorse and he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Wow. Seized with remorse. But I want you to catch this church family. Listen closely today. What was of extraordinary value to Judas in one minute had absolutely no value the next minute. What was worth trading Jesus in for one minute was a complete embarrassment the next minute. What he sacrificed his relationship with Jesus for in one minute was something that that he wished he would have never done the next moment. This This is where Judas is now. And that, my friends, is where some of us are living today as we march towards Easter. Judas's greatest regret was his attempt to force the hand of God in his life. 
But watch this, chapter 27, verse 4. He says, I have sinned, he said to them. This is Judah speaking, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And they respond to him. You've got to catch this. They respond to him. What is that to us? And their response is so powerful. They say this, that Judas is your responsibility. And Judas, to use a Jesus phrase, listen, Judas gained 30 pieces of silver and would lose his soul. And this, if I'm honest and transparent with you, this is what drives pastors all across this nation to the, today and every Sunday to preach the gospel. Even though people aren't in the building, it's because there's so many people in this country that would choose to reject Jesus because they're trying to preserve something that they're gonna lose anyways. Hear me. When we decide that there's something more important than a relationship with our heavenly father, that thing immediately begins to lose its appeal. It's the way that it works. That's the way that life works. When we, when we choose to barter with God, when we resist God and God's will and God's hand in our life, we like Judas, watch, we become responsible for the outcome. You choose to betray Jesus. You choose to walk away. Guess what? This, this is the difficult part about that is that now the outcome is completely up to you. And I know you're talented. I know you're smart. I know you've got it all figured out, but you better really have it all figured out because here's the crazy part. This is the crazy part about the God that we serve is that he won't get in the way of you having your way. He won't rob you of the responsibility and the outcome that is associated with your decisions. The God that we worship, that we serve is a loving God and a gracious God. And he's a God that honors your freedom and he will not interfere with it, even if it means that it, you're undermining your own success and your own happiness. He's a gentleman. But bartering sometimes is way easier, isn't it? Bartering is, is way easier than surrendering. Resisting and arguing with God is, is way easier than saying, God, have your way in my life. And everything, everything that I've been preaching to you over the last several minutes boils down to this, and, and I want you to lean in on your couch, turn everything off, put your cell phone down. If you're, if you're on Instagram and you're not paying, this is the time to pay attention. The significance of surrender is that when we surrender, watch, God takes responsibility for the outcome of your journey. When you surrender, you're no longer responsible for the outcome. He's got you covered. 
That's the beauty of surrender. That's the beauty of laying it all down. It's the beauty of us finally saying, God, it it is just eating me away to give this up. But when we finally say, God, as appealing as this is, it's not worth losing my peace. It's not worth losing my integrity over. This is not worth it anymore. Because when we, when we surrender, the one that we worship, the one that we preach about, our heavenly Father takes responsibility for the outcome of your journey. Friends, that's a, that's a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And listen, how do I surrender? This is so easy. Surrender begins with this. Lord, thy will, not my will. And here's why it's tough. Listen, I'm not gonna lie to you, it's difficult because it seems really risky, right? To to say, God, I surrender to your will and not my will to which I would tell you this. Whatever you have replaced God with in your life is far more risky because now you are responsible for the outcome of the journey. It's far more risky, church family. So here's the all-encompassing question today. What is it in this moment as we approach the Easter season, as you tune in from your couch or from your kitchen with your family around you, what is it? What is it that you need to surrender? Surrender begins with God have your way with my relationships, with my future, with my major, with my friendships, with my best friend, with my attitude, with my decision making, with my choice to forgive or to not forgive everything that I have, have your way. And so I ask you today, as you're gathered in your homes, where does surrender start? It starts when you surrender your heart. That's that's the foundation of it. And I don't, listen, I don't want you, I don't want you standing in this moment. This would be a perfect moment for you to gather your family and kneel, maybe you're at the kitchen table, maybe you're on your couch, but just kneel. Find yourself in a posture of surrender. Maybe some of you that are watching today online, maybe you're trying to figure out why you're having a hard time letting go of some stuff in your life. It's because you have yet to let go of your heart and it's gotta start there. So I wanna pray with you today. That's the first group of people that I wanna pray with this morning is for those of you that are maybe ready to surrender your heart for the very first time so that he, he is responsible for your outcome. You can give him that responsibility. If that's you, listen, I want you in your own words. You don't have to say exactly what I'm gonna say. Let it flow from your heart. Let it be your vocabulary. Let it flow from you, but I want you to tell him in this moment something like this, God, I surrender every 
aspect of my life. And before I can surrender everything out there, God, I choose in this moment to surrender my heart. Though fear and anxiety is running rampant in society today, God, I choose to trust you. I choose to surrender my heart to you, my life to you. Forgive me, come into my heart. You, you, Lord, are the Lord of my life from this day forward. And whatever you have for me moving forward, I want it. I want everything that you have. God, if I need to be water baptized, that's what I wanna do. If I need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's what I want. Have your way, have your way. And if you just made that decision, I applaud you. We rejoice with you, congratulations. What a beautiful, what a beautiful day today is in your world. Now I wanna pray for a second group of people and our final group of people today that maybe you have You've already surrendered your heart to him, but now it's surrendering other things to him, things that, that keep pulling you back that you can't seem to get a hold of. Come on, I believe in this moment that God's gonna allow you to surrender some things and you will never, you'll never pick it back up. You'll never grab it again because God, once you surrender, is responsible for your outcome. And last time I checked, he's pretty good at taking care of his kids. So Lord, right now, God, you see our audience today, those individuals that have surrendered their hearts, but there's different aspects of their life that they have yet to surrender. Maybe it's relationships, maybe it's financial, maybe it's job related, maybe it's fear and anxiety that they just can't let go of, that they're, they're feeding off of the news and off of what's going on on their social media feed. And I pray right now that you would allow us to surrender it, to lay it down at your feet. And Lord, we're not designed to carry it any further than the cross. And we lay it down. And we say today, Lord, I am no longer responsible for the outcome of my journey, but you, I give you all responsibility for the outcome of my journey. I trust you. I love you, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Come on, at your house, why don't you put your hands together for Jesus right now? Yeah, come on, he's done something amazing in your life and in your family. Wow. And our team, listen, our team is gonna sing a little bit of worship to end our broadcast today. And so I want your family gathered. Come on, why don't you in this moment throw your hands in the air and just thank him for what he's done in your life.